0: So turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. The theme this week has been the power of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, different aspects of that. Today, the power today, His power. Bursts men into churches. That's what His power does. Acts 2, 41 through the end of the chapter. So those <clears throat> who received His Word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they the ones that received the word and were baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe, or fear, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles'. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day or daily, attending the temple together and breaking bread in, the, in their homes They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, I simply ask that you will apply this message however you see fit to each individual. For their good and for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As I've already stated, we've heard about the power of God all week long, as we've heard the gospel of Christ proclaimed. God does not give birth to people into nothing. God doesn't birth people into nothing. God does not birth men unto deadness. God does not give birth so that new life will starve to death. God is in the business of building the church as a testimony to His saving power on earth. The true church is the living reality of the power of God, demonstrating that God takes dead men and makes them alive. Men and women are justified by the power of God. God is glorified in His work of redemption and sanctification. And all across the world, He gathers men and women, boys and girls, to be unified in his church. That is how the church began, and it's the way the church continues. Lest I forget later in the sermon, there is no alternate course. God birthed the church in Acts, and there's not been a different plan since. Now, my thesis may be offensive, But if it is, it is. Any baby that is not born into a family is an orphan. Any baby that's not born into a family is an orphan. Any person professing to being born again but is not a part of a local church is an apostate. That's what they are. They're apostate because... God does not birth men into individualism. God doesn't birth somebody into me and God have our own thing going. There's nowhere in Scripture that's even hinted at. It's always being birthed into a local body of believers. Church at Ephesus. The church at Galatia, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, the church at Thessalonica, the the church, these local assemblies that are brought together. You think about it, men and women and boys and girls from all types of diverse backgrounds, all from different walks of life and different socioeconomical classes, different levels of education, different interests, different hobbies, and they all come into one location and they're in unity. Why? Because the common foundational principle is Christ. Make no mistake about it. Why does by the word Baptist church exist? Because of Christ. That's the thing, that's the one, that's the person we have in common. That's the thing we agree on when we take communion. That's the thing we agree on when we do baptism. That's the thing we agree on when we preach. We agree that Christ is the one. Now, the folks that come to church here all the time, don't fall out in panic when I make this statement. But my first point is Acts 2, verses 14 through 40. Yeah, we've preached like three weeks on one verse, so it's not the case today. The power of preaching, Acts 2, 14 through 40. Now this is going to go faster than you can read the text. You have two sets of Old Testament prophecy. You have the Old Testament prophecy of Joel, and then you have Old Testament references in regards to David and what was written in the book of Psalm. So Peter is preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost, say it again, Peter is preaching the gospel with the foundation from Joel and David. In other words, he's taking the gospel from the Old Testament and proclaiming it in the New Testament era. That's what is happening in Acts chapter 2. So you got the minor prophet Joel, Joel 2, 28-32. And then you have the sweet psalmist of Israel, Psalm 16, 8-11. Uh, through 11. And so he's referencing those as the foundation for what he is proclaiming to these people. And you can do what you want, but I agree with Peter. What he does with those texts is right. Now, he takes this, and he makes a New Testament application. He makes several applications, and I give you those in bullet form. First of all, Christ is the one. Christ. Everything that has been prophesied about one to come in the Old Testament is fulfilled in one person, the Christ. This one is the one. Don't look for another. There is no other. There's no Savior coming after Christ. He is the one. Verse 23, this Christ was murdered by sinners. God-hating rebels with a depraved heart nailed him to a tree. They crammed thorns on his head. They spit in his face. They mocked him and ridiculed him. They stripped him of his clothing and they hung him naked upon a tree when he had done no wrong. They murdered Christ. Christ, verse 24, this one they murdered, this one that sinners murdered, this Christ, God... Raised him from the dead. God reached down, if you will, and spoke life into death, and a body came out of a tomb, sure enough, resurrected. Not a ghost, Not some kind of mystical apparition, but one in which you could touch his hands. And you could touch his side. And you could hug him, if you will. And one who could eat fish by the seaside and take a drink of something. And and Ghosts don't do that. This is a bodily resurrection. God raised him from the dead. In verse 31a, God... Christ was, his, his, Christ's resurrection was not only foreseen, it was foreknown. It was the plan of God from all of eternity past, Man's going to fall in their wickedness. Man's going to be destined to go to hell. I'm going to intervene in order to redeem humanity. And God says, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to send my son, and my son's going to go down. And he's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to live a sinless life. He's not going to sin in word, in thought, or in deed. He's going to fulfill everything the law demanded. Where all the Old Testament people failed, Christ is going to uphold it all. And then they're going to crucify him, and I'm going to raise him from the dead. God knew all of that before Christ was born because it was his plan. Christ's body did not decay in the tomb. No decay here. On the third day he was resurrected, David's body decayed. David's not the one, but Christ saw no decay. And he says in verse 32, this Jesus, he said, so narrow this thing down. Oh, you evangelicals, you Baptists, you think there's only one way. It doesn't matter what I think, there's only one way. This Jesus that we're talking about, this is Peter's sermon, this Jesus whom you crucified, whom you murdered, this Jesus was resurrected and was witnessed by many. A lot of people saw Christ after the resurrection. It's a lot of testimony. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Over 500 people saw him at one time. It cannot be denied. And then in verse 33, Christ has been seated at the right hand of God where he reigns in power. Jesus is not only Lord, he is also the Christ. You know The one you crucified, that's the one who is Lord. That's the one who is Christ, the crucified one. Now that's Peter's sermon. What are the effects of Peter's sermon? I want to give at least one point because it is the main point. The effects of his preaching are found in verse 37. So you can glance there if you will. When they heard this, They were cut. They were stabbed in the heart. This is what the Greek word means. It means to stab or to gouge, to be pierced. That God's word was of such power that it penetrated into the depths of their heart and brought conviction. Something inside of them at this moment going, I have to give an account to God. This, it's my sins that crucified Christ. It's my sins that murdered Christ. And and the word cut through. I pray that would be the case for some in this room. The word of God would cut to your heart, reveal your sin, and show you your need for Christ. The truth of the gospel stabbed them. Yeah, just chase a rabbit, shoot him real fast, and we won't waste much time here. I'm so tired of an evangelical world where everybody is worried about saying something that might offend somebody. I hope you're offended. The gospel is offensive. And when the gospels preached rightly, I hope you get stabbed in your heart. I hope it gouges your heart out and you realize you have great need for Christ. Right, we went to church on Easter, and that guy offended me. Good. May it lead to your repentance, and may you place your faith in Christ. And when you do, the offense will go away. So you say, what are they, they're stabbed to the heart. You know what they do? What shall we do? That's what they ask. I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. What shall we do? We've heard the gospel. Repent. Arrepentente. Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn out of your wickedness and your flesh and your selfishness. Repent. It's a clear message. I'll never forget it. It just sticks in my mind. July the 4th, we're down there preaching at the fireworks show in Azel, Texas. and We're down there just preaching it up. We're loud and proclaiming this gospel. And this confessing Christian woman comes up to me, and she's mad. She's so mad. She says, I've done everything I could to get my neighbor to come to a Christian event. And we get here, and you're preaching that people ought to repent and you're mad, you should be happy that your neighbor has heard that they must repent and believe the gospel and be baptized, which you saw this morning. Repent of your sins. Baptism is your first public profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, though. There are others in this story who are not listed, who were not cut to the heart, who did not repent and did not get baptized. I pray that not be you. So the gospel is never neutral. The gospel softens some men's hearts and it hardens some men's hearts. But the gospel is never neutral. Second point, here's a picture of Christianity. And that's our text, 41 through 47. What does a genuine response to the gospel look like? It's a valid question. What does a genuine response to the gospel look like? I understand, repent. I understand, baptize. I understand that. But there is much more that is going on in this text that we obviously in Azal, Texas, are not aware of. So listen closely as this text is exposited this morning. They received, verse 41, they received his word, apodechomize, the the Greek word, to show approval of something. Peter preached, they're cut to the heart, and their response is, we welcome what you said. We receive it. We agree with what you have proclaimed. God is right and I am wrong. God is true, and I am a liar. We receive this as truth in opposition to what we believed before. They believe God to be right, and they believe themselves to be in the wrong. You see that there in 41, they received this word. And secondly, they were baptized. They were taken to a body of water. They were immersed underwater. Their actions symbolize death, burial, and resurrection. Now, I understand that there's a lot of baptisms that go on, and I grew up in church long enough to know that basically, if you were a trained Labrador retriever or a monkey, you could get baptized. I, I mean, really, all you've got to do is nod your head when the preacher asks a question, walk to the front, stand over here, repeat this, say amen, let the church say amen, get baptized, and then... Leave and never come back, but at least, bless God, when you're 80 and live wicked for 40 years, you'll go to heaven because you did that when you were 10 years old. You nodded your head. Look, there's something more here. There's something here in baptism. When you get baptized, you should have a testimony. You should have a testimony of how you came to repentance, how you came to faith. You know who Christ is. You know something about the gospel, and you give yourself to Christ by faith faith and it says for those who did they received they were baptized verse 41 last line added they were added now just to be clear added to what added to the masonic lodge i think not added to the jehovah witnesses i think not Added to the local Rotary Club? I think not. Added to Rome? Certainly not added to Rome. What were they added to? Certainly not to some current religious movement. No. What were they added to? Listen. God's power births men. They get baptized and they're added to something. You cannot exegete this text and say they were added to nothing. Nothing. You can't do it. It's an impossibility. They are added to something, and the only something that will be borne out in the Word of God is the church. That's what they're added to. They become members of a local assembly in which men and women covenant together in a local assembly together. They were added to the church. Then notice verse 42. They were devoted, devoted. It's a continual ongoing action here, present participle, ongoing. They, They persisted in something. They busied oneself with something. They were busily engaged in. They were devoted to. They held fast to. They continued in. They persevered in something. Look, if your brain just checked out, listen to what is being said from this word. What is being said has just X'd out 85% of Azel from Christianity. They receive the word, they're baptized, they're added to the church, and here's how we know they're added to the church, because they devote themselves to the local assembly. They spend the rest of their lives gathering with God's people in a location for the purpose of exalting Christ. We say, well, I know a whole lot of people that don't do that. That's because they've not been birthed. Because if they was birthed, they would be in the church because their hearts have fallen in love with Christ. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. There's a special word here. Many of you have heard it before, but it's still a special word. They were devoted to the koinonia, the fellowship. Devoted. If you don't get it, you don't get it. But, man, look, there's just something sweet, like even this week. There's just something sweet about sitting down at a table, eating together with brothers and sisters in Christ, and laughing and telling jokes and talking about theology and talking about doctrine and singing together and praying together and encouraging one another and having genuine fellowship and loving one another and caring for one another and then coming together in unity and having the Word of God preached and saying, Amen. It's just something to this. They were devoted to the fellowship, the regular observance of communion, the meeting for prayer. I'll be there. I'm devoted. I want to be there because this is my church. It's where I serve my Lord at. And fear. People act like this. I can tell you what they say. They say, man, you're part of a cult. That's what people in the world say people, man, you've lost your mind. You must be in a cult. Y'all are always at church. I go to church because I want to, not because somebody told me to, I'm not in a cult. But look in verse 43. Fear, fear, all came upon every soul. It had a very heightened sense. These people had a very heightened sense of the nature of God. They're very concerned with their lives before God. Then it says, after fear came upon every soul. Many Wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed, look at verse 44, all who believed, the text here says, were together. Now, this word together is a Greek phrase. It's not one word, it's three Greek words put together in a phrase, and undoubtedly this phrase means this, this is going to be really shocking, at the same place. Okay, We can all follow that, right? We're at the same place. If you don't understand what I'm doing here, I'm trying to tell you, you can't have Christianity on your own out there somewhere. They met in the same place together on a regular basis because they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and they were devoted to the fellowship. So they kept coming to the same location in order to worship this God. And back in Acts chapter 2, And verse 1. It says, it's same same phrase there. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all in one place. And the ones who were in that one place got to experience what happened in that place. And that's what happens here. All the things that happen in a church. When a guy falls under conviction of sin and starts crying, when somebody rejoices over a new job, when something over here, somebody has a new baby, all these things happen in the church. Those who are there together in the same place get to rejoice and be a part of that. Those who are not coming to the same place on a regular basis, that gets devoid in their life. They don't get to experience it and they don't even understand why you're happy about it. But those who keep coming to the same place and experiencing these things, they take great delight in it. It's a great joy. I'm thankful that God placed me in a church, and I've been in the church for 53 years. I have no regrets, not one, for staying involved in the local church my entire life. I'm not looking back saying, I wish I'd have skipped 10 years. But one day some people in this room are going to wake up, and they're going to say, what have I done with my life? What have I done? And devote yourself. Christians devote themselves. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, they live in such a way that fear overtakes them. And they have a great healthy regard for God. And they meet together in order to worship. Now, this next one, you see it in verse 46. Now, my translation uses the word attending. Attending. Now, I want you to see this, so I'm just trying to help you see it in the text. In verse 42, it says, and they devoted. In verse 46, it says, day by day, attending. If you see devoted and attending, can you at least say amen? What I need for you to know is, is that both of those are the exact same Greek word in the exact same form. What does that mean? Well... It means that in verse 46, daily, they were devoting themselves together to the temple. They were devoted. Being devoted to something has a stronger sense of ring to it than attending. What do I mean? A lot of you are attending this morning. I'm thankful you've come. I'm thankful when anybody hears about Christ. We're all attending this morning, but not everybody in this room is devoted. Not everybody is devoted to the apostles' teaching and devoted to the fellowship. Those who have been born of God are devoted. And it has the word in verse 46, regularly attending, daily. (laughs) We only go one day a week. They're going all the time, it seems. But here in verse 46, after we have this word attending, which I'm telling you means devoted to the temple, it says, attending the temple together together together. Now you remember back up in verse 44, all who believed were together. I told you there was a Greek phrase and that phrase meant in the same place. They were all together in the same place. In verse 46, when it says together, it's not that phrase. It's a different Greek word and it means something different than just being in the same place. So what does this Greek word mean? It means with one mind with one purpose, with one impulse. Now, think about with that definition, verse 46 again. (laughs) Daily devoted with the same purpose, with the same mindset, with the same impulse, all with that same devotion and meeting regularly in the temple to worship God. Or if you want it in East Texas slang, they're on the same page. Everybody's on the same page, and they're devoted to that page, and they just keep meeting together because they're devoted to that page. I mean, surely you're catching this. Surely you're laying down what I'm picking up, or flip it if you like the other way. Look, I'm trying, I lost my mind. Now it's amazing. You think about hobbies. If you ride a bicycle long enough, you know what happens. You run into people that ride bicycles. You go to the same store. You buy the same stupid spandex look like a moron riding down the road, right? If you run, you end up meeting people who run because you run together and you buy these shoes. And so when you get something like that. You just kind of keep running into each other. Hello, it's not hard. Why do I keep finding you here? because we're on the same page doing the same thing and we keep ending up at the same place because Christ is the one we've come to worship. And I don't know where else to do that. We try to do it at Walmart, they kick us out. We try to do it over here, they yell at us and throw tomatoes. We try to do it over here and they get mad over here and cuss. We try to do it at the abortion clinic and they call the cops. And so we keep ending up here because we need brothers and sisters in Christ in order that our hearts can be encouraged to live out the Christian faith. And as you do this, throughout the continuation of your life, God adds to the church. God adds to the church. Christians live out Christianity. God determines the size. How big is by the word Baptist church? How big God wants it to be? That's how big it is. What we're trying to focus on is devotion. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching, being devoted to the fellowship, being devoted with the same purpose and the same mind together in the same place, worshiping the same Lord who saved us and whom we were baptized for his glory. We're just trying to live out our Christianity. And as we do, it's God's pleasure to bring in others and to add to his church. That's his call. Uh, we're, We're responsible for the depth and the genuineness of Christianity in this place, but as far as its breadth goes, that's God's deal. And if this church, for the next 22 years, never arrives above 60 persons, it doesn't matter as long as we're a true church. As long as you're true, you preach the Word of God and try to live out godliness before the world, praise God, enjoy walking together. If you stay around here long enough, not only will the pastor marry you, the pastor will marry you, not... uh, I will perform your wedding ceremony, and then you'll have kids. And then when you have kids, I'll baptize them. And then your kids will grow up, and I'll do their marriages, and then they'll have kids, and I'll baptize your grandkids. So, some of you in the room ain't getting it, but some of you have already seen that, and we have joy together and living out Christianity for decades. And don't kid yourself. We've also walked through the valley, and we've cried our eyes out together. And we've hurt together, and our hearts have been ripped apart together. And we see these things happen in our life, but you know what they did? They didn't run us away from each other. They ran us to one another because we're together in Christ. And whatever happens this next year, whatever tragedy strikes and whatever comes, we're just going to come together one more time and say, Lord Jesus, we need help. Thirdly and last is just a couple of implications of the sermon, the purpose of the church. And I'm just ending this with membership matters. Believers are added. Unbelievers refuse to join. In Acts 5.11, it said, Great fear became upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Going on the church, they're afraid. And then in Acts 5.13, None of the rest dared join. They didn't associate or cling to them. And more than ever... Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. We'll speak slowly, try to be clear. Talking to you individually, one by one across the room, your relationship to the church is a testimony to your relationship with God. Your relationship with the church is a testimony to your relationship with God. You say, Well, I don't think church is that important. That's because you don't think God's important. Well, I don't think we have to be members. That's because you don't care nothing about making it to heaven. Membership matters. Because when God births someone, He doesn't birth them into nothingness. He doesn't birth them into individualism. He births them into His family. And He's our Father, and we're His children, and we bear a title. And that title is Adoption. And we become heirs to everything in Christ. And all of this is in a community aspect. A group of believers who are united together by the gospel. A group of believers a group of believers who are united together by the gospel will be able to engage in missions. You know what this church does? You know that every week we're teaching 20 pastors in South America? We're engaged in missions because we're together. We're consistently doing evangelism, street preaching, tracts, letter-writing gospels, all kind of abortion ministry, everything. We're doing evangelism. We're helping one another on the journey of sanctification. Things like this get said around here. You're wrong. You're in sin. You ought to repent. You can't live that way. What are you doing? We say things like that in this church. Why? Because we care about one another. (laughs) Try to love one another. You say, Look, dude, just be honest. Try loving these people. Come on, try loving me. Ask my wife. It's not easy, but it's biblical, and by the Spirit of God, we have to swallow our stinking pride. We have to humble ourselves. We have to learn to love one another, even when we don't get along. So we do. We pray for one another, we worship together, we discipline one another, we take communion together, and we're obedient to all the other commands of the New Testament church. But as if you're not a member and involved in your local church, you can't do any of that. There's nobody birthed unto the Lord that the Lord births that starts doing missions individually. Church does it, because that's where God has set his love is on the church not coveting together with a local body of believers is no better than two people shacking up together. It's no better. Just living together. And Watch. We'll just live together. Here's what people do at church all the time. They come in church and go through all this stuff, and, okay, and then something happens. They just leave. Just walk out the door. And they don't come back. Why? Because there's no tie. They got no allegiance there. Just like two people living together. They live together for a year. They live together two years. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Something happens. God walks out the door and doesn't come back. There's no commitment there. That's the way it is. But when it comes to true church, we make a covenant. We 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 make a, a confession to one another. I'm here for you. You're here for me. And we live out Christianity together. With all the warts and scars and hardships and heartaches all the joys and all the rejoicing together people who will not join a local church by the way just to be honest i like honesty people tell me they're not going to join a church it's not important they don't have any problem joining a health club they don't have no problem joining a sports club hunting and fishing club the Masonic cult, or any other organization that gives discounts to its members. Oh, I get a discount? I'll join. People do this all the time. Oh, but I'm not joining the church. I'm not going to be in there. There's a lot of hypocrites there. Who do you think's in your hunting club? You think your hunting club doesn't have hypocrites? If you're in it, it does. People refuse to join a church. Here's the issue they refuse to join because of pride, selfishness, and warped views of the gospel, and because they really hate the idea of being held accountable to anybody. So I don't want no accountability. Here's what I want I just want to live how I want, do what I want, be what I want, and in the end, I want to go to heaven because it sounds better than hell. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. In the gospel, you die to yourself. And you submit yourself unto another and to one another. Because that's the second greatest command in all of the scripture to love one another. The gospel's been preached. Jesus has been sent forth as the only savior of the world. He's a substitute for sinners, he is the resurrected Lord and Savior of all men. The gospel message is not neutral. You cannot simply take it or leave it. You're held accountable to it. You must repent and you must believe or you will go to hell for all of eternity. How do we know if someone has faith? Well, not only will they repent of their sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus, bear testimony to their faith, by being baptized, but they will devote themselves to a local assembly under the teaching of the Word of God and with the fellowship of the saints. You know, we're not Southern Baptists anymore. That's not a big news flash anymore, but I was raised Southern Baptist and uh, many things I still hold to that Southern Baptists believe. But we used to say this when we join a Southern Baptist church. If it ever at any time we depart this place, we ever have to depart, we move Transfer. Whenever we depart, as soon as possible, we will find another church of like faith and like mind that we will unite ourselves to. What? Never ever want to be outside of active membership in a local assembly of believers. You say, why not? Because people who are not an active part of local assemblies are lost. There's something in the heart that says, I want to be there. That's the result of Christianity. Rest of genuine Christianity, rest of genuine conversion will be seen in devotion to the church. Now here's the phrase, one sentence, and about three sentences left. This is one. The church is the crucible in which all men are tried. The church is the crucible in which all men are tried. And your allegiance and devotion or lack thereof will be the revelation of your heart. False converts will find things to complain about. They'll find other things to do, justify their positions of non-commitment, and hope that somehow in the end that God will be merciful and let them into heaven. But make no mistake about it, God's power bursts men into churches. And when they arrive there, they devote themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the communion together until he comes. So I ask you, what's your devotion and what's the proof of your conversion? Brother Jeff, you come.